Now, this morning's message is going to be uh, different because I'm not going through John today. Somebody said amen. Uh, <laughs> Dolores was fast on that amen. Woo, she was like, yep, done with John. You're moving too slow, Pastor. Uh, children, 10 and under, are dismissed to Children's Church right now before I forgot. Well, let's see if I can find the message I wrote down in here. All right, I found it. Praise the Lord. No, we're not going through John today. I'm preaching a message today that I feel like is very important for us to get in America, okay? So everybody hold your hand up. This message is for you, okay? And this message is for everyone who isn't here, okay? Can, can, can I say it like a, I mean it? This message is for all those that are not here, okay? Now, I'm not talking about people who are uh, working or they got off work early this morning and they stayed home because of that. I'm talking about the people who have no excuse on a Sunday morning other than they just don't feel like getting up and going. Amen? So, yes, I'm talking about church. I'm talking about coming together as a church. I titled this message, "It This is Necessary, okay? This, what we're doing right here, is necessary, okay? Do you understand that the Bible knows nothing of this solely personal relationship with God? Now, we all have a personal relationship with God, amen? If you don't, you're lost. But the Bible never separates my personal relationship with Christ from me gathering with other people who have a personal relationship with Christ. Okay, because the problem is I'm part of the church, but when I'm not with them, I'm not being a part of the church. And I'm not doing my part as part of the church. Amen. The reality is we have generations now of Christians, and I'm going to use that with a quotation mark because we have a lot of people who claim to be a Christian, but there's no fruit of what a Christian looks like in their life, nor is there a uh, body of believers that they are part of, okay? This reality that we see in the New Testament, let's, let's put a couple things together. Not one book in the New Testament except for Philemon was written to an individual. Not one book. So when you read the New Testament, you don't read it as it applies to me individually. You, you read it as it applies to us as a church. And if there's no us in your relationship with Christ, you're doing it wrong. Because Jesus, when we have fellowship with him, the New Testament says, you also have fellowship with us. That's what he says. That's what James says. That's what John says. Okay? So fellowship with believers is very important. And it started right when the church did. 
Acts chapter 2, after the Spirit comes down, 3,000 men get saved. And what does it say? They dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. Amen? Amen. All these things are fundamentally what Christians do. Not, not just that they do, it's things they have to do to grow spiritually, okay? When you read verses like in Corinthians or in Ephesians where it says every part of the body is fit together and does its part, then we all grow up to a perfect man, fully equipped, fully furnished for every good work, right? You will not get that at home by yourself. It won't happen. It won't happen. Because here's the thing, you can get a whole bunch of knowledge at home, sure you can. You can pray at home, sure you can. But you can't put anything to practice in the New Testament at home by yourself. You can't put praying for one another, physically being with someone and praying with them to practice at home. You can't bear one another's burdens at home by yourself. You can't sharpen your brothers and sisters in Christ at home by yourself. You can't have communion. At, I hear people all the time, oh, I took communion at home by myself. Nope, you didn't have communion. Nowhere in the New Testament is communion an individual practice. Communion is what happens when God's people get together and celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and understand his body and his blood and they remember together the sacrifice that he made communion is not an individual thing communion is a corporate solemn worship moment we call it a sacrament or the catholics call it a sacrament we call it a, a ordinance okay we call it an ordinance of the church catholics call it a sacrament okay the reality is that's a corporate thing Worship. Every time worship is talked about in the New Testament, it is never talked about alone. It's talked about together. Even Paul and Silas, they didn't sing alone. They were in jail together and they sang songs together in the midnight hour. Amen? Now, can you cry out to God on your own? Yes, you should. There is absolutely a spiritual, biblical mandate that you do that. You have to have a personal relationship with Christ. But you also, as a Christian, have to have this experience Amen. of meeting together with other believers. Here's another thing. Do you know why we have so many false doctrines flying around nowadays? Because we won't submit one to another. We won't submit to the leaders in the church. We won't submit to our brothers and sisters in Christ when they point out our sin. All we do is get mad at them for pointing out our sin. And instead of, of getting mad at them for pointing out our sin, we should go, Oh no, I'm a sinner. I have sinned against the holy God. And this person is pointing it out because they love me and they want to see me grow. But instead, we get mad and we'll go start our own church. Can I get an amen? amen? You know, it was really important for me. This church was birthed out of a call to go and look at another church and possibly pastor that church. Okay? 
we went over there and nothing wrong with those people i prayed with them we we just it wasn't what god wanted us to do okay and we were all right with it they were we prayed together before we left but when we left that church i found families who weren't going to church anymore who had been uh, uh, disillusioned by church and we started church I didn't go seek out other people's sheep I didn't go try to steal sheep from other churches I saw a need and we sought to fill the need amen now what we understand there's two things about our name that are very important okay Agape Fellowship Church. We need to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. We need to love other people. Now love is not, love doesn't look at somebody and never approach what's really wrong with their life. Love does not overlook does love cover a multitude of sin? Sure it does. But love will not rejoice in wrongdoing. So love always confronts with truth. It does it in love, but you must bring the truth. We can never sacrifice the truth just to love people. And we can never just tell the truth and not love people, okay? We can't tell the truth in an unloving way that's not right either amen also the other part of this is we understand that fellowship is absolutely what God intended in the Christian life fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit us having fellowship with God and us having fellowship with each other that's what the New Testament teaches amen the reality that we're going to talk about today is the need in America for people to see the importance of the church. Okay? Because we've gotten, I'm going to say it as clear as I can, we've gotten into a lot of new age stuff in the church. Okay? We've gotten into a lot of new age stuff that has crept into the church and it says, well, you know, you got your own personal relationship with Jesus. You don't need them people. That's never said in the New Testament. That is a New Age philosophy of high-minded spiritualness that is aloof from the Bible. It does not teach what the Bible teaches. You are not going to grow more at home by yourself. That's not what the Bible teaches. Ever. Ever, ever, never. Okay? Now, I'm going to tell you one thing. There's been times in my life, even as a pastor when I was in between churches, that I would get lazy and not go to church. I'm just like you all, okay? The reality is every one of us can become lazy and, and apathetic in our walk with Christ to the point where we don't see the need to go meet with other believers. And then I look at the fruit of my life during those seasons. Can I tell you what the fruit of my life in one of those seasons was? That was my wife and I being divorced and my family being torn apart and my job being torn apart. All because 
I didn't need that church thing. I don't need that. Beloved, you do need it. Beloved, we all need it. It's mandated in Christ that we love one another. And I'm sorry if you never see me and I never see you. We don't really have a relationship. Church. This New Testament word, if you look it up in the Strong's Concordances, Greek word 1,577, it means it, the, the pronunciation in Greek is ekklesia. It means the congregation, the assembly, the church, a calling out. More properly, a called, uh, called out of their homes to some public place, an assembly called out or called forth. You notice that? Now, you'll, you're going to rebut me, I know, immediately. People go, well, they had church in their houses. Yep, but they didn't have it in everybody's house. They picked a house, and they all went to that house, okay? So I, I'm over the excuses. Oh, we can have church right in our living room. Nope. First of all, the word church means an assembly of believers, a gathering of believers. I got a newsflash for you guys. You're not the church all by yourself. Not any of us. How about this? Even understanding the verse that is quoted so often about personal, uh, being personally the temple of the Holy Spirit was spoken in the context of a church. The gathered body. Notice he says, wherever two or more gathered, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus is not going to be in the midst of a contrite, or not, not contrite, a contrary, backbiting believer who's just going to sit at home in their living room because they're too offended to go to church. Now, he still loves you and he ain't left you or forsook you. But his plan is not for you to sit there like a bump on a log at home, mad and upset at people. Amen. You know why nobody grows that way? Because you don't actually have to confront the problem in your life, okay? You just get to avoid it by sitting at home. Amen. You get mad at me, good, go ahead and get mad at me. Come to church mad at me and talk to me about it, okay? You get mad at Kyle or Mike or, or Tammy. Don't get mad and stay home. Come to church and be mad and let's deal with the problem. And then we'll grow. We're not going to grow. We're not going to grow by ourselves. Ecclesia appears 118 times in the New Testament. And 115 times that word is translated church. And three times it's translated assembly. Matthew chapter 16. Now you get, get a verse here. I'll give you a verse. No, this is not an expositional sermon. So uh, somebody can say amen or oh no or whatever. Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter 
And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I'm going to stop right here because this is the point in which Jesus is telling you that I'm coming to establish a church, an assembly, a gathered body of people. People go, well, I'm not into organized religion. Well, that stinks because God is. God came down here to organize his church. To gather together those who would believe. Amen? Amen. The reality that people go, I don't believe in church. When Jesus said, I have come to establish my church. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but that word establish is pretty significant in my mind, right? It's not like, oh, I come down here to start a little loose gathering of people who might meet and they might not meet. When you, when you hear the word establish, you're thinking this is something that's going to last, Amen. right? This is a gathering of people that God is setting up to continue doing what he called them to do. Amen? Amen? Jesus came to establish and to build his church. Go with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 2. I already mentioned this verse. I already quoted this verse. But we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 41. And I believe this time I'll probably read out of the ESV just for a little bit of clearer English, if that's okay. All right. Well, don't hold it against me, okay? All right, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 41. So those who received his words were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to I bring you to a little thing that everybody always wants. Oh, wouldn't it be great if God added to our number day by day those who were being saved? The problem with this idea is that we don't want to do anything before that verse that re- was required for God to do what he did. Amen. Amen. Notice they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted 
to prayer. They were devoted to assembling together day by day in the temple. They were giving their possessions and distributing to everyone who had need. They were receiving bread in their homes day by day. And now we have Christians who might come to church once a month. And they look at the pastor and they go, what's wrong with our church? Why is nobody coming? Why isn't God adding day by day those who are being saved? God's probably thinking, why should I give them any more people when they won't do the things that I'm asking them to do right now? Did you notice they don't get all these people added to them for no reason? I want you to notice something here when we read this again, okay? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is correct doctrine. What the apostles taught. Not what uh, Brother Joe Smo or Joel Osteen or whoever else thinks the Bible says. What it actually was taught. Actual biblical doctrine. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Being together. Can we get this yet? Why would God add any more people to a church that doesn't want to meet together anyway? That doesn't make any sense. Why would he give you more people when you already look at your brother or your sister in Christ now and you go, oh my God, look who's here today. Shame on us. Shame on us when we think that way. How can we say we love God, yet hate our brother or sister in Christ? Why would God bless that? Why would God add to the number that way? He wouldn't. He doesn't. Let's let's keep going. I don't want to get lost on that little trap. It says, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, communion, have it, remembering the Lord together. And the prayers. Praying together. I don't know if you realize this or not. But we've added more prayer time in the beginning of our church service. If you hadn't noticed. Not only do we pray when we start. We pray when we're done worshiping. Then we read the word. Get the catechism question. We pray again. And then we get the announcements. And then we pray again. Why? Because prayer is important. And we need to make it important. We pray over the offering. We pray over all of that. Yeah, I did pray over the offering. Prayer is an important part that churches are not doing enough of together. This idea of prayer isn't you're going home and praying. Yes, of course you're supposed to pray at home. Yes, of course you're supposed to get in your closet and pray. Jesus told you to, right? But you're also supposed to pray together. When Peter was in jail, they met together and earnest prayer was given to him all night. Given for him all night long. The church met. Could you imagine? Look, first of all, I can imagine it this way, okay? Because I know how prayer meetings that I have called have went, okay? I call a prayer meeting, three people show up, four people show up. 
Right? That's how prayer meetings go. Because we don't see the importance of praying together. We don't see the importance of praying together any more than we see the importance of meeting together. Ouch, right? Can we say ouch? Everybody say ouch with me because I know it's ouch, okay? This is, not, this is not flaring accusations against you and I'm leaving myself out, okay? I'm telling you the truth. Now, verse 43, and all came upon every soul. Do you know what could happen if people really, really devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? to the fellowship of the saints, to the breaking of bread, remembering the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ together. Do you know what kind of blessing could come upon us if we were actually praying together more earnestly? What kind of awe would be filled in our hearts for God instead of my grocery list or my kids ain't acting right or this and that and all these other things take precedence in my mind and God is very far from my thoughts it says oh all came upon every soul many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles now however you believe on this we want a whole bunch of all these signs and miracles and stuff, but we don't want the things that were, they were doing before they got any of that. I'll move on. Verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common. This is more than just they had their money in common. They had their, their, their uh, stuff in common so they could give it away. They had their doctrine in common. They had their fellowship in common. They knew each other. There was no hidden secrets. There was no, oh, if our brother fell into sin, we went and talked to him, and he come and he repented, and he said, thank you for loving me enough to tell me. But now when somebody does it, oh, gosh, they're just some backbiting, backstabbing, so-and-so, and I'm not going to church no more. So you're not going to church because somebody called out the sin that you refuse to let go of. Amen. Yeah, that sounds like you're being mistreated. <laughs> they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together. And breaking bread together in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. Notice, praising God and having favor with all people. How does your church look to the community? Does the church look at your church and say, man, they got it figured out? Or does the community look at your church and go, I wouldn't go there. This having favor with all men is an important part of what happens next. Watch this. Praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you want that, Everything between verse 41 and here 
applies. We've got to think of church as something that is necessary for our spiritual life, our spiritual growth, our spiritual understanding. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47 gives us several things. Number one, we, uh, we follow the apostles' teaching. We are devout, devoted to it. We're devoted to fellowship. We're devoted to the breaking of bread, remembering the Lord Jesus, praying together, being together, having all things in common. I wrote down on my little note, unity. Seven, giving to those who have need. Eight, daily praying together. Nine, praising God, giving glory to God together. God added to the church when those things happened. There are mean, they are means or mechanisms that God uses within the local church that benefit Christian growth. And, they, and whereby God gives us or bestows upon us, adds to us blessing or further grace to every believer. That happens in the context of the local church. Not in your bedroom, not in your prayer closet, not all by yourself with other believers. That's the only way it's going to happen because that's the only way it was done in the New Testament. Everybody goes, oh, I want to be a Bible-believing Christian until you start pulling the Bible out on them. And then they go, oh, no, oh, no. I can't. Oh, it doesn't say do that. It doesn't say do that. Sure it does. You just don't like hearing it because you don't want to do it. <laughs> Amen? How many of us really, look, if you think that me and Kyle or me and Carmen or Kyle and Becca are any different than anybody else in this room, there's Sunday mornings we wake up and go, man, I sure could stay home today. Yeah. We like sleep. We like having our own time. Right? But the reality is, I don't come to church for myself. I come to church to give glory to God, to have communion, fellowship with God. And I come to church to have communion and fellowship with you. And that when I'm down, you can lift me up. And when you're down, I can lift you up. But we can't do that apart from each other. Wayne Grudem in his Systematic Theology in chapter 48 has a chapter titled Means of Grace Within the Church. And he lists these means of grace, 11 of them, this way. Teaching of the Word of God. Baptism. The Lord's Supper. Prayers one for another. Worship. And in this context he's talking about singing. Church discipline, giving, spiritual gifts, fellowship, evangelism, personal ministry to individuals. None of these things can be done alone. None of them. 
Just think about it for a second how ridiculous it sounds. I'm going to stay at home and teach myself. Well, first of all, you can stay at home and read your Bible, but I hope you're going to allow God to teach you and not you to teach you because you, by yourself, don't know jack diddly squat. You need God's help. Amen? Think about this. I'm going to go to church and baptize myself. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. You have to have other people around for a baptism, okay? At least one more person's got to be around for this baptism. Somebody to put you in the water, somebody to take you out of the water. Amen? Amen? Has to be done together. Cannot be done alone. The Lord's Supper, we've already talked about it. It is a, a, a church event. It is a corporate experience of receiving the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unless you want to rewrite the Bible and say Jesus was in that room alone. Unless you want to rewrite the Bible on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was just in that room all by himself and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Anyone who drinks of it who's not in this room, who can't hear me, who can't celebrate this with me, who I cannot commission because they're not here, it doesn't make any sense. Communion is a corporate experience. Prayer, one for another. Pastor, I could pray for them over here. Sure, you could pray for them on your own personal time, okay? There is a difference between praying for somebody and praying with somebody. Amen? Amen? You can't pray with anybody by yourself. Worship. I, I don't know how I can get this out, okay? There is not one event in Scripture where someone worshiped God by their self. Every single instance of worship mentioned in the Old Testament, mentioned in the New Testament, was mentioned in a corporate experience Israel came to the mountain and worshipped that's all of them right when they came to the temple to worship it wasn't just one person everybody came to worship and guess what if you didn't go to the temple you didn't go to worship because worship happened at the temple now Oh, Pastor, the Bible says, well, don't we know that our, we're the temple of the Holy Ghost? Yep, and he's talking about the church. <laughs> that letter was written to a church, not an individual. It was written to a church. When Paul's telling you your, the, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, he's talking about us. Now, are we all indwelt with the Holy Spirit? Yes, okay. But we're not the temple of God by ourselves. We're the temple of God together. We're being built into a holy temple, a holy tabernacle. That's what he says. Right? Corporate experience. Church discipline, which is like totally non-existent nowadays, okay? Does anybody even know what church discipline means? 
No, that's not when the Sunday school teacher's in there whooping your kid, okay? That's not what's happening, okay? First of all, we got rules against that. They don't whoop anybody, okay? Church discipline has to do with someone in the church who's a member of the church who's in gross, serious sin, and it gets to the point where the church as a whole comes to this person. Can we go back to Matthew? Isn't it Matthew 18 or 16? Matthew 16, where Matthew 16, he says, let's just go read it so we don't have to mess it all up. Matthew 16. Let's go to Matthew 16. Because we act like this ain't in here, okay? We're like, oh, I don't know about this stuff. I don't you know. It's my Christian life. You can't tell me what to do. You can't come to me and tell me I'm in sin. Are you sure about that? Matthew 18. I knew it was one of them two. Watch this. Chapter, 15, uh, chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two, along, two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, if you haven't gotten this, Matthew 16, he said, I'm going to establish my church. Matthew 18, he's telling you how this church is going to operate. <laughs> it's important to remember. He says, if he refuses to listen to, oh, excuse me. Uh, da, 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 da. If he refuses to listen to them, take it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Woo! Church discipline is when we go to a brother alone and then he doesn't repent and we bring a couple more people and he doesn't repent and then we text before the whole church and the, he, if he doesn't repent, there's a word that we don't even like using nowadays. In, in, the new, in, in, in the Protestant sense, the word excommunication doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means they're not a part of the church. They are cut off. Paul talks about this over and over in the book of uh, Corinthians, in Titus, in Timothy. Church discipline is wide open in the Bible, but non-existent in the church today. You know why? Because we think it's more loving to not confront people. We think walking in love means I have to overlook what they're doing. But that's not love. It's actually unloving to allow someone to continue in a path that you know is not good for them. Amen? Amen. Now here's the thing. If your children, if one of your kids was standing out on a railroad track and there's a train coming, are you just going to stand over here on the side and go, now, now, Johnny, can you please get off the tracks? Uh, uh, it's dangerous. Now get over, get, get over here. Or, or I know a lot of you mamas, okay, and I've heard a lot of you mamas get on to your kids at this church, okay? Or are you going to get your voice that's going to go up about five octaves, and you go, Hey, Johnny, get out of the street! Stop doing that! Get off 
snatch them up? Why? Because I love Johnny and I don't want Johnny to get hit by a train. Amen? Amen. Church discipline is not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, a hundred, not even a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, you wouldn't even have caught some of the things that are going on in church today going on in church today because they wouldn't have allowed it. Why? Because it's not right. How about this verse? Let not even the stain of sexual immorality even be named among you. What does he mean, let not? If someone is caught in sexual immorality in the New Testament, that was an offense that would cause the church to start the disciplinary process. One would go to them and say, hey, you're living in outright adultery and it's wrong. Stop doing it. Repent before God right now and turn from this thing. Right? And if they didn't listen to you, then you'd bring a couple other people from the church. And then if they didn't listen to you or them, then you'd take the whole matter before the church and say, we went and talked to Miss Susie so-and-so or Mr. Samuel so-and-so, and they're not listening and they're not repentant. They don't think there's anything wrong with what they're doing. And at that point in the New Testament, church discipline would take over. But we don't do that nowadays because we think it's unloving to do that. But actually, if you look at the state of America and how far America has fallen, how, more, how far American Christianity has fallen down the tube, you can probably actually see the great benefit of having church discipline because those things will be confronted. But if we take the modern psychobabble approach of, oh, we can't confront them with their sin because we don't want them to think we don't love them. We've grown up in a, a society where parents think loving their kids is not correcting them. But actually, not correcting your kids is very unloving. Because what you're doing is you're teaching them they can do whatever they want and then they're going to go out and live in a world that will not let them do whatever they want. Providing structure and rules and expectations for children is absolutely loving. And providing rules, structure, and expectations for church people is exactly what the New Testament teaches us to do. Paul says... Don't let a hint of sexual immorality even be named among you. That's a pretty profound statement, isn't it? Not even a hint. That means if it gets brought up, somebody's going to investigate what they're talking about. Right? Giving. We don't think giving's important anymore. We think, oh, you know, all these churches are out for money. Okay, look. I'm going to tell you what happens when nobody gives, okay? You want to wonder why uh, the, the uh, oh goodness, the Christian church downtown is 
is, is ready to close their doors because people stopped coming and people stopped giving. This church, if people stop coming and people stop giving, we'll close the doors, turn the lights off. Giving has a very practical implication for church. Everybody likes coming here. Everybody shows up. They're like, oh, man, it's night. We get here. They already got a plan. They already got a program. But without, without offering to pay for the lights or the heat or any of the other, the trash and the whatever, gas and all the other stuff we got here, we wouldn't be able to do it. That's a real practical thing, right? Now, think about this. All the people we've helped over the last year with their food or their rent or their electric bill or whatever it is that we helped, we couldn't do that without people giving. Amen? That is what we're here to do is to help those people, right? So when you give, don't give going, oh, this church just wants money because I promise you, <laughs> I ain't over here making, matter of fact, I can guarantee you that everyone on a fixed income makes more than I do. Every one of you that are on a fixed income makes more than I do. Pastoring this church. I didn't, quit, I, I didn't start pastoring this church to get rich. Matter of fact, I left a 45000 a year job to come and pastor this church full time to not get paid. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it because I want to do what God tells me to do. Amen? I want to do whatever it is to glorify God and not me. I ain't in it for me. I'm in it for God. Spiritual gifts. All the Bibles, every verse in the New Testament that talks about spiritual gifts is talking about the spiritual gifts being at work in the church. In the church. Let me ask you a question. Anybody know anything about 1 Corinthians 12? 1 Corinthians 14? Huh? Anybody know about that? Speaking in tongues, prophesying. Let me, let me let you in on a little secret. That has to be done in the local church. You want to know why? You ain't going to prophesy at home all by yourself. Amen. That prophecy has to be weighed by the whole body of Christ. A prophecy has to come out and everybody there has to hear it and say, that's right, that's wrong, that doesn't follow the Bible. It has to be weighed. In the New Testament, that's what was happening. In, ch in chapter 14, when, when one prophesied and another prophesied, then everyone else listened to weigh out what was heard, to see if it was from God or not. In the New Testament, prophecy was not something that you did on your own and then you just brung it to the church and they just accepted it just because you, oh, I heard from God. No. They tested it. Amen? Why? Because there's other people there with spirit of discernment, spirit of understanding, spirit of knowledge, wisdom. Come on, people! The spiritual gifts are not even to be done alone. It is in the corporate worship of God that they are enacted. They are done 
in the, in the Roman or First Corinthians 14 says, for the edification of the church. You're not going to edify anybody prophesying at home by yourself. You ain't going to edify anybody at home speaking in tongues and praying in tongues by yourself. It doesn't edify anybody. Does not help anyone. And I would say that the prophecy we really need to listen to is the one we've got in hard text form. And I would say that our great high priest and prophet Jesus Christ is the one we should listen to. But we got so many people trying to make a name for themselves because I'm a prophet this and I'm an apostle that and I'm a something or other this and I'm going to call my ministry so-and-so's. They, doesn't, is it just me? But when people say this is so-and-so's ministry and it's named after them, it's kind of arrogant. Yes. Yes, it is. It's God's work. Amen. That's why I will never, ever in my life name anything Kevin O'Connor, anything. Because I'm not out here to promote me. Amen. I'm out here to promote Christ. Amen. Right. Uh, we're supposed to do that, right? Didn't he say that? Not even Jesus. Not my will, but thy will be done. Yep. He, he taught, how do we pray? He said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. We need so much to get back to a biblical understanding of what church is. Amen? Amen? Now, personally, I think that a lot of these gifts are totally misrepresented in modern day Christianity. Okay? I think, I think they've taken uh, the, a turn for the worse in saying, oh, this is of this is the Holy Ghost did this and the Holy Ghost done that. I sit and watch a whole bunch of people pray for people about what the Holy Ghost done to them and then they walk right out and start complaining about the same thing they still have. So either the Holy Ghost did something or he didn't do something. Okay? And if he didn't do something, stop pretending like he did do something and be real. Amen? Now, I ain't going to stop the Holy Ghost from doing anything in me, but it's going to be him, and I'm not going to try to manufacture it. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? But I think we, <laughs> I think we spent so much time trying to seek a, a, some spiritual high that can make us famous that we miss out reading God's word and just following it because none of us are doing that. Amen. Fellowship can't be done alone. Evangelism. Can you evangelize by yourself? No. Other people got to be around. <laughs> That's dumb. Personal ministry to individuals. Whatever you got a problem with, whatever you need work with, whatever you know, you got a problem, you need prayer, you need you need counseling, you need any of that. You have to have other people for that. The church, this, these things are not written to us for us to think about so individually. Every part of the New Testament was written to believers as a whole, a church, as a corporate. 
Galatians, the book of Galatians was written to a whole region of Asia Minor. There were, there were 40 towns in that area. It's huge. Galatia is not a town. It's a whole region of Asia Minor. It wasn't written to an individual. I could and may later in other sermons go into detail on each of these points. But for now, mark them in your mind as a limited list of the biblical ways that we know that God has prescribed for his church to operate and by which he conveys further blessing to you and to me. And it happens in the context of the local church. I get so I get so tired of hearing, and maybe this is just me, and maybe I'm confessing here. Sometimes I get tired of hearing people complain about spiritual problems or spiritual battles or spiritual this, and I never see them. Like, I don't see you at church. I don't see you... Uh, you don't call me for prayer. You don't call me for counseling. You don't call me for nothing. Don't come to church and, and have give us a prayer. Because don't even text the church and say, hey, can the church pray for me? And then you wonder why you're going through such a spiritual season of, of emptiness. It's because you're not, first of all, communing with God probably on a regular basis. And you're not communing with the other saints of God on a regular basis. So I don't know what you expect. Amen. Jesus said, whatsoever a man sows, that he will reap. Yes. So if I'm sowing a life of complete secularness, complete flesh, never sowing to the Spirit, never sowing into the church, and I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about time and being around people. If I'm never around my brothers and sisters in Christ, if I'm never spending time with God, these are all things I'm sowing seeds and I'm going to reap a harvest on. Amen. So I'm sowing carnal seeds. I'm sowing uh, 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 spiritually deprived seeds where I'm not coming to church. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not praying by myself or at church. I'm not spending time with other believers. And then I wonder why my life is going the way it's going. I wonder why my spirit feels so down and so depressed and so lonely and so forgotten. Come on. But I won't do anything about it. Amen. Are you kidding me? you got to come to the point where you, like David, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Remember the Lord and forget not all his benefits. And guess what, believers? There's benefits in coming to church. There's, there's benefits in being around other believers who've been where you've been, who may be where you're at right now, who may need you to pray with them and may need to pray for you. But we can't do that alone. We're not meant to. We're not meant to do it alone. We see in the scriptures Christ using Paul and Peter and James and John and Philip and Barnabas and many, many others to establish his church 
in homes and in towns and in countries from Jerusalem to Rome. We see them appointing elders, pastors over these churches and then outlining to these churches their duties to Christ and his church and those around him. Much of the New Testament is written to churches in towns and regions and not to individuals. Christians are not saved and left alone grasping and groping to live lives as followers of Christ all alone. We are meant to live and to serve each other and others and to reach out to others together. As a matter of fact, 1 John chapter 3 if you want to turn there real quick, I'll read it to you. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John's right after 2 Peter. That helps. Well, if I can get there. Chapter 3. Verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. If you read verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. How do I know that I'm truly a believer? I know that I'm truly a believer because Jesus said, it, this is how all men will know that you're my disciples, the love that you bear one for another, right? Amen. And First John here, John says, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. We love coming to church and being fellowship with them. We love the people that we come to church with. We long to see them grow. We long to grow with them and beside them and we long to see our fellowship of believers grow. Amen. That's what it means to love the brethren, to love God, to love his bride, the church. That's loving each other. This is all throughout the New Testament. We're supposed to love each other. And love for each other is shown in action. Amen. By wanting to be around each other. Wanting to be in fellowship with, the, with one another. Look, I don't know if you've ever been married. But I've been married for almost 17 years. And there isn't, uh, you know, Carmen and I don't just walk around happy-go-lucky all the time with each other, okay? There's times when you fight and you fuss and things go wrong and you have to work through it. But in the end, your marriage is going to be better. Do you want your church to grow? Do you want your church to, to continue to get better and grow stronger? You've got to be a part of it. Amen. It won't happen without you. It won't happen without you loving them and them loving you. It won't happen. Amen. That's church. That's what it means to be a part of God's church. To love each other. Others will know that we follow Christ because we love each other. John 13, 35. We are called to consider one another and to stir each other up. To not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. We need this. 
today. We need this all the much more approach today. Hebrews chapter 10 says, uh, Let us not forsake the gathering together of ourselves as the custom of some, but all the much more as we see the day approach. And the verse before that tells you that the context is about us meeting together because it says, Beloved, let us consider one another and how to stir one another up in love and good works. Not forsaking the gathering together of ourselves. Do you want to know why people, do you want to know why pastors get so nervous when people stop coming to church? Because here's the reality as a person who has stopped going to church before. My prayer life wasn't the same. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't, I didn't do any good works. I didn't seek to help anybody. I wasn't doing God's will. Because the problem is, when once people get to the point where they don't see the need for church, that speaks to a deeper issue that they don't see the need for living this Christian life. That's hard for me to tell you that because I've been there. But the reality is it happened slowly by decisions. Me going, well, I don't need to do that and I don't need to do that and I don't need to do that. And I God wants faithfulness. Don't you know that faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit? Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. Faithfully being a good husband, faithfully being a good father, faithfully being a good employee, faithfully being a good pastor, faithfully being a good church uh, member. Amen? Faithfulness should be what we're known for because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. Patience, endurance. Come on, man. Amen? How many of you want all these things? Patience, endurance, faithfulness. you, you got to start. Amen? It starts with knowing you got to do it. It starts by making a decision to do it. And then it's continued by continued prayer and reliance on God to help you do it. Seeking Him. Well, the, the, the reality is, I don't have to seek God's will about coming to church, okay? He tells me to. I've got a Bible that says it. That's his word. I can't go, well, God didn't come down here with a flashing light and say, hey, Kevin, wake up. It's time to go to church. God doesn't do that for everybody. He gave us his word. He sent his son, and he told us, do these things. I don't need a message from heaven. I need to follow the message from heaven that I got and take myself to church. Be a part of the church. Be involved. Be loving and caring and involved with those people in the church. I don't need, I, don't, I shouldn't have to have flashing lights from heaven. I should just follow what God says. Where in the world do we get to this point where God's word means so little. This is his word, right? This is the infallible, undeniable word of God that is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is God's word. 
It tells me I need to go to church. It tells me I need to be involved with the local church. It tells me I need to love my brothers. I need to serve other people. It tells me it. Let's do it. This is God's will. This is God's will. This, this book is God's will for me. Why should I look at it as some meager thing? I should look at it and go, oh no, I'm not doing this and I need to do it. God help me do it. Amen. He will never, God, beloved, I have listened to so many people. I don't know what, I don't know what we can do in this modern day. Okay, I don't know what we can do with people right now. I'm so, it's so mind-boggling, okay? And I, maybe I'm just blurting stuff out here, but it's mind-boggling to me that somebody's going to go, well, the Lord told me this really isn't my husband. And I'm going to go get that guy over there, even though he's married. God isn't going to tell you to do that. That's against God's word. That's against God's word. And beloved, I'm going to tell you another thing. God is not going to look at you and say, hey, you stop going to church. You just stay at home and, and don't go to church. God is not going to do that. God ain't going to look at you and say, Kyle, it's going to be better if you just stay home. The devil is a liar. It ain't going to be better if you stay home. It ain't going to, you're not going to grow at home. You're not going to grow at home at all. Okay? You may grow in knowledge. You may grow in uh, your personal piety towards God. But you will not grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Every one of the fruit of the Spirit are things you have to do to other people. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Right? Kindness. Goodness. I can't do any of that to me. That has to be done to other people. I'm not gonna learn, I'm not gonna get the fruit of patience without God putting a Tammy in my life to teach me some patience. Can I get an amen? That's why God sent Tammy to Agape Fellowship Church. Pastor needs patience. Here we go. I, and she knows I love her, okay? She knows I love her. I'm just saying. God's not going to tell you to do something that his word tells you to do. He's not going to tell you to do the opposite. He won't. I, I remember talking to somebody when this finally clicked in my head, okay? We were, we were doing a drive at uh, Assembly of God Church, and they were doing a drive for helping kids go to youth camp or whatever, right? And, and to other stuff, go on a mission trip. And it clicked on me one day because I heard a whole bunch of people, I'll have to pray about giving. I'll have to pray about giving. I'll have to pray about giving. And I'm like, oh, why you got to pray about giving? First of all, the Bible says if you have it to give and you see your brother in need, give. Yeah. Why do I got to pray about helping people? I don't have to pray about that. What you, the only time you need to pray about it is if you have a bad attitude about giving or helping. Maybe you ought to pray about it then. Maybe you ought to pray and go, God, I'm not, I don't have the right attitude. My heart's wrong in this whole thing, and I need you to correct me. I need you to straighten my heart out because I've got this bad attitude about it. Amen? 
Now, I know there's, I know there's women in this church that had, a, uh, had probably prayed that prayer about me once or twice, okay? And they're like, I got a bad attitude about this pastor right now. I'm, so I, I'm fit to want to give him my whole mind, okay? I'm fit to want to tell him. And, 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 and now, there might be some men in here that might have had thought the same thing a time or two, okay? And I'm telling you as a pastor, there's times when I have to guard my own mouth. And I have to go pray and say, God, help me have a right attitude about this person, that person. You know, we need that. Beloved, don't do anything without praying and seeking God's will ever. Amen. The Bible says, Jesus said men ought to always pray and not faint. Amen. Men ought to always pray and not faint. So, yes, seek God's will on everything you do, but don't. Ignore what God has told you to do in the process. Amen. Amen. That's my admonition to you because I can do it. You can do it. We can get really cynical and start pointing everybody else's stuff out or we can go, I'm going to pray about it. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to close. Somebody say amen. amen. We need Christians to realize the necessity of gathering together as a church. All the much more. Christians need to be actively, deeply, intimately involved in the local church. They need to be committed members of a local church. Loving the people of God and committed to the vision and the success of Christ's body, his bride, his church. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you, this message is birthed out of the understanding that just 25 short years ago, when I went to church, when I first got saved, people knew even then what it meant to be a church member. They was there when the doors was open. Every time the doors was open, they was there. The pastor called a prayer meeting, they was there. If the pastor said, hey, somebody in the church, a family member passed away, we need a dinner. Church was there. I mean, we have lost this intimacy of family expression in the body of Christ where we love each other, where we want to be around each other. We need that back. If the church, if this church, I'm not even going to talk about the church as a whole. If this church wants to be successful, if this church wants to grow, if this church wants to make an impact in Coffeeville, these things must be a priority. Amen? They must be something that we want to do. We see the necessity of doing. Amen? Not not so that this church can make a name for themselves. Not so I can make a name. Not so you can make, But so that Jesus Christ is preached. And people come to know him and trust him. And their life is changed and they're going to heaven. Amen. Older I get, the more I realize I only got a little blip of time here. Amen. And I wasted about half of that blip of my life. And I'm not fixing to waste any more of it. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to preach Christ. I'm going to see people saved if it's the last thing I do. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be your pastor whether you like it or not. 
okay? Because I love y'all. I want to be here. I didn't, I didn't do this for any other reason, but I love God. I love Christ. I know what he wants me to do. I'm out here trying to do it. And I can't do it by myself. Because even me, I'm not the church all by myself. We're the church together. And I want to get, I want to get this off of my chest. I'm not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. I'm just the under shepherd. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to give an account one day to the chief shepherd. He's going to make me give an account for how I handled what I did. So it'd be remiss for me to preach the gospel and just go through the book of John and keep, keep doing all that. When I know that I know that I know that there are people out there who should be here and they're not. Amen. Amen. So let's pray for them. Let's love them. Let's reach out to them. Let's get them back here. Not in a spirit of, oh, you're wrong for being gone, but in a spirit of, we love you. We miss you. We want you to be a part of this family. Amen. Amen. Why? So we can do the work God has called us to do. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. I'm going to pray over the food. If there's any prayer requests, I'm going to wait up here for a minute. If anybody needs to pray about anything, I'll pray with you, okay? I will, definitely, definitely. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your grace. Lord, for your mercy. Lord, we have tackled some very touchy subjects today. We've tackled some very uh, uncomfortable topics, God, that make us all go ouch and oh me and oh my. But God, we pray that as we have taken a clear and unhindered look at what you really expect the church to look like. God, that we could knock away all the rough edges, that we could embrace the differences between us, and that we could love one another and come to unity, fellowship, reading your word and prayer, and find in all the things that we've talked about today, the grace and the mercy that you have for us to be your bride, to be your people. Help those who are not here, God, see the importance of being part of your church, being involved intimately and deeply involved with your church, to love those things that the church is doing and to, to support them and to Help whenever possible. God, we ask for your help, for your grace, for all of us have come short. All of us are, are at fault. There's not one in this room, God, that stands guiltless. We all know we need you. We all cry out to you. Ask for your help. Lord, we ask that you would build this church the way you want this church built, that you would have your will, your way in this place. Lord, that it wouldn't be my way or anybody else's way, 
But Lord, we ask for your will, your kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done in this place. Forgive us our debts and our trespasses that we have committed as we forgive those, Lord, who trespass against us. And help us, God, today receive the daily bread that we need. Lead us not into temptation of self-indulgence, God, and promoting this church, God, but lead us away from that temptation. Deliver us from the snares of the enemy, from, from the evil one. Help us, God, because this is your kingdom forever and ever. Amen.